here we go. James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that in the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse number five, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let's just go before the Lord one more time in prayer over the reading of God's holy word this morning. So God, we just offer up our thanks to you, God, for your holiness, for you are the sovereign, righteous, merciful, graceful King, Lord. God, we, we look around the world and we see what's happening all throughout the world, the chaos of, of wars, of, of all these things, Lord. God, you're not surprised by what is taking place. You are still sovereignly in control. Nations rage. Kingdoms uh, are, collide with each other. But our God sits on the throne and you are over all things. God, I pray that you would be mighty to save in this room, that all hearts would be able to collectively say together in one chorus as we leave, look how glorious King Jesus is in Christ's beautiful name we pray, amen. Now, if, if my, my high school students are in here, you're going to be paying very close attention because recently you guys went through a series called Straight Out of Context. And you guys looked at verse number five, count, or verse number five, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God, all right? So I know I'm going to be under a microscope with some of you this morning, so I'm going to do my best to exegete this scripture and apply it to our lives as best as I can. I have a friend back in the South that we used to meet together, and we first started meeting. This joker asked me one time, he said, hey, how is your wheelbarrow? I was like, my wheelbarrow, What? You talking about the thing that's, that's like tipped over upside down in my backyard? Now, knowing that this kind of guy is sort of a mental prober, you know what I mean by that? This is the kind of guys that just start asking you questions like, oh God, here we go again. Like, I feel like I'm in some type of like counseling session with this man. When he's asking me, how is your wheelbarrow? Like he has another agenda. It ain't about the physical thing that's carrying rocks or carrying dirt. It's about my mental wheelbarrow, like asking me, how is your life? Is it filled with trials? Is it loaded down? Can you even lift the thing up? Can you lift it up? And not only can you lift it up, but can you carry it? Can you carry it up a hill? And so, you know, I would get really hyperbolic with my uh, answers over time. I'm like, well, the wheel's flattened and I'm ready just to toss the whole thing off a cliff. In fact, it's already been tossed off a cliff because that's how heavy weighted down it is. So when I ask you in person and I come to you and I ask you, so tell me, how's your wheelbarrow? You're going to be able to identify, uh-oh, this guy's not talking about the physical thing. He's asking me, 
How are the trials? How, are, how is the trauma? How is life going? Is it, is it so heavy burdened that I can't even lift the thing up? This, this particular set of passage is about that. It's about the trials that we carry. It's about coming to grips with that we ought to count it joy when we're going through trials. Now, I just got to pause and say, and I think I may have mentioned this last week, that that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? The two words, trials and joy, they should never be used synonymously together, right? In fact, that's what culture would tell you. Like, there's no way, there's no possible way that trials and joy can be used together. Can they? I mean, it doesn't seem like they ought to. It seems counter-cultural. It seems like in order to have joy, then I've got to remove the trials in order for me to experience this joyful life that God wants us all to experience. Then what does it seem like we ought to do? And what have we been trained to do? What does culture tell you to do? Well, what do you ought to do? You ought to, you ought to just set those trials aside. Maybe, maybe if you're a man, you can compartmentalize them, pretend they're not there, and we'll just move on with our life. And then and only then... Can you have the joy of your life? Right? That seems logical, at least for me. Maybe you're a holy and more sanctified person than I is, but I tell you what, I do not like this verse. In fact, I wished it was one of the verses that was removed from all scripture. Is it okay to be honest with you this morning? I feel some of you with your holy sanctified eyes scouring me right now as we speak. But James says, paradoxically, in order to experience joy, then you go through trials. And joy, what is joy? Is it happiness? Is it this ooey-gooey feeling that you feel is it this emotive thing that when you, when you look at your spouse and you're locked dead eyes at her and she's whispering sweet nothings in your ear and is that emotions that are erupting inside of your heart, that's, that's happiness. Is that it? See, joy is quite different than happiness. Joy is inner contentment despite whatever we're going through. Okay? Happiness is based on my circumstances. All right? So I'll, I'll do a little exercise uh, with you when, when I'm driving. Okay? I'm, I am, this is a, I got to be careful here. This is a sign of how, how much more I have to grow in my sanctification when I get on a road. All right? We'll just leave it at that. Okay, if I've ever given you a finger, I apologize. It's not, it's not me, it's the center in me, All right? And so I am happy. I'm great, I'm happy, fantastic. You know, life's going great. But one of, these, um, one, one of these drivers pulls out in front of me with no regard, with not a I'm sorry. Happiness went where? At least for me. Happiness done left. And what happened was I lay on my horn until he recognized the unjust action that he just did towards me. Okay? 
Now, I know I got more sanctification to do, okay? Don't judge me. I know you're all the same. But that, that's the difference between, so James is like, like paradoxically, like this is not, this is, we're not on the, we're not talking about the same things here when we're talking about happiness and joy. Joy is counted joy when you're going through trials. Why? Because as we mentioned last week, we know the outcome. It's we know that God is producing something inside of us that wasn't there to begin with. It is, it is Romans chapter 8. It is that, that God is working all things out for my good. And so even in the trials, I know that God has the victory. And I know that whatever God chooses to do through this trial, I know it's going to be for my good, for my sanctification, for my growth in my faith. And that is how I can experience joy in life, joy in trial. Now, Here's what's happening here. We have this thing called hermeneutics, all right? I mention this word quite often, and so this word ought not to be new to you. This is the study or the interpretation of Scripture. So when I place myself in the Scripture, and if I just look at chapter 1, verse 5, and it says, ask for wisdom, he gives it to you generously. Now, we can all, and here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to say this. Yes, God gives wisdom, all right? God is not a God who is going to be like, you've asked for the one thing that I will not provide you, and that is wisdom. No, yes, God gives you wisdom. But in the context in which we are talking about, what is James talking about? Ask for God in wisdom through what? Huh? Through trials, that's the context of the passage. So we have to look at this and say, okay, I'm asking for wisdom, but this verse is centered right after verse number four, and it's centered right before verse number six, and it gives us this insight that in my trials, when I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, when I don't know how to handle trauma, when I don't know how to handle various types of just punches in the gut, what does God's word say that we can do? We can come before him and say, God, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing in this life. Please give me wisdom. That's the context in which this verse was written. So in light of that, I, I want to ask three questions, okay? What do we need? What do we need? What should we do? And what will we find? What do we need? What should we do? And what will we find? First of all, what do we need? That's, that's the question. What do we need? And the answer is simple. The answer is wisdom. What do we need to go through trials? What do we need to just get through the mundane of life? What do we need? We need wisdom. James is very gracious. I, I love how James just like pow, 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 just like rapid fire in, in all of this. Like he's just moving like very quickly through this. And, and, and he's going through it and he says, listen, you need wisdom. And I love that he doesn't say, you know, you are, in fact, if you watch um, uh, Charlie Brown, 
the, 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 the pumpkin patch, special edition. What's the one word that they're calling everybody? Blockheads. It's a funny word. It makes me giggle as a 41-year-old. James doesn't say, you know what? You're just a bunch of blockheads and you're desperately need of wisdom. He doesn't do that at all. Thank God he doesn't do that. He just, he's just very simple to us. You know what? I understand. When you're going through trials, here's what you're going to need. You're going to need wisdom. And if you lack wisdom, all you got to do is just ask for it. And God gives it to us graciously. If anyone is lacking wisdom. Now, I, I want to just say this in, in passing. Notice that he doesn't say um, you need education. Okay. He doesn't say uh, you, you need education. In fact, I would, I would, I would like bet on this and, and, and ask any of you, you, you've watched the news and you've seen some crazy stuff unfold in just a seven-day period of time. Like you see the Congress House in chaos. You see, uh, you know, funding for this, funding for that. It's like, it's like a merit, like we just like throwing up money. Like it's just like just pulling it out of the air. Like they have found the money tree that your mom and daddy used to tell you. What you want me to do? Go pull money off the money tree? Your mom and daddy didn't tell you that? Well, they tell me that and it scarred me. So I had to issue my, my issues on my children. It's like they just pulling money out the thin air. Let's just make more money, create more money, and just, you know, before you know it, it's, it's just an absurd, I'm digressing totally. And then you see what happened this weekend in Israel. And, and let, me, let me tell you what you did not hear. You did not hear the word wisdom. You know what we need in Congress? Wisdom. No, no, that's not what you heard. That you know what we need for, for all this national spending? We need wisdom. You didn't hear that. You didn't hear anybody mention the word wisdom when, when, when the terrorist organization just invaded a sovereign nation. You didn't hear anybody say, you need wisdom. We need wisdom. No, it's not. In fact, what, what, we, what, what a culture is going to tell you we need more of, and I'll, I'll press, they'll tell you, well, we just need to be educated more in this area. Listen, we've been educated in, in the realm of, and I'm, and I'm thinking back in the, in the late 80s, right? I, I was a very young, young, young child. So, uh, but I remember this, this, this disease, AIDS, right? Remember this? And, and it was just this, this crazy, just outbreak happening. And so what, what did the government do? Well, well, we just need more education. We got more education, but, but did the disease go, go away anywhere? No, you know why? Because, because there's no wisdom. That's why. And you, you could think about in anything, in premarital sex, well, we just need to have more education. And we'll, we'll fill our public schools with, with more education. Did education stop premarital sex? No, it did not. Unless you're living in a rock and you think it did, it did not. Because why? Because we need more wisdom. That's why. Every educator and teacher in this room will tell you that education and wisdom are not the same thing. I can educate you on issues. I can tell you about things and you can be like, oh, okay, that's great. But if you are not applying that and putting that into practice, all you have is more education and you have said no to the wisdom part of it. In fact, this reminds me of Jesus in his parable of the builder of the house on the rocks and on the sand. 
Remember this story? Jesus is like, so there was these builders, and, and they built a house on a rock. And they got, there's this other guy, built his house on the sand. The storm came, wiped his house off of the face of the planet. Why? Because his was built on the sand. But when the storm came and blew against the house that was on the rock, that house stood. And Jesus said, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the man who built the house on the rock. Now listen to me. Did the man who built his house on the sand, could he hear the words of Jesus? Absolutely. Every single person in this room hears the words that I'm saying, but some of us will leave out of here with just head knowledge of it, and because you don't want to place that in your heart and apply it, you have no wisdom. What do you need in life to make it through trials, to make it through temptations, to make it through trauma? You need to ask God for wisdom. Wisdom. You see, because when biblical wisdom is not just some cognitive idea, it's not just mental, it's also this behavior that emerges on what? you know, and what you believe. It means that we are acting in light of God's way because it is the one who knows how to live in God's way, in God's world. What do we need? We need wisdom because a God who is also the one who is macromanaging the whole world is micromanaging us in our affairs. And he is asking us, listen, I tell you what you need. You need wisdom, but will you ask for it? We need wisdom. Here's the second question. What should we do? What should we do? If we need is wisdom, what should we do? Well, it's in verse 5. It's pretty easy. You ask. Ask God, the, the God whom he identifies later as providing every good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. In other words, he's not one way to you on Sunday and another way to you on Tuesday. Oh, because you didn't ask for wisdom on Sunday, I can't give it to you because you're asking on Wednesday. No, he's, he's generously giving. We're asking for wisdom. How should we ask for wisdom? It's easy. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Dear God, I need wisdom. And there seems to be a proper way also to make a request before the Lord. And I, and, I would, and I would say this also, just in passing, that, that we as Americans, we, we are not good about making requests. You go stand in line, go stand in line in, in, in old Starbies, and you, you, you li just listen, all right? Or wherever your favorite coffee place is. And, and you listen to it, and, and what do folks do? Yeah, give me a latte. Yeah, give me this. Yeah, I'll take this. Yeah, I'll have that. Yeah, let me get that. Very rarely do I hear people say what your mama told you to say. 
May I please have, insert the blank. Now, maybe as a, state, uh, as a case study for you, you can go do that on your own time. Maybe you can prove me wrong. But we, we, have, a, we have a bad way of making requests, in, and especially in church. And, and yes, we can go before God boldly with our requests because of what Christ did through the cross and through the veil being torn. We have direct access to the Lord. But Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 says that when we come before him, we come before him with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. So what James says here is we need to believe and also not doubt. In verse 6, if you're going to come and ask, believe and not doubt. Now, to believe here is more of an intellectual assent. It's an expression of trust. To doubt in this case is to say, I wonder if this really is the case. So, in other words, this isn't us having common doubts. I, I could say that that's, that's a lot of us. Yeah, we're going to have doubts. Yeah, we're going to have questions. Yeah, we're going to be like, wait a minute. What? I, I know I'm strong in my belief in this, but what do I believe again? Like, I, I, I'm doubting a little bit. I'm questioning. He's not talking about that. Here's what James is talking about. He's talking about the person, somebody coming to faith and saying, Heavenly Father, I need your wisdom. But if this wisdom comes out like I don't like, then I reserve the right to just do what I want to do. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about those people when they ask you advice and you're probably the fifth person they've asked and you're the fifth person that's told them to do the same thing the other folks have told them to do, but they're asking you the fifth person because they didn't like what the first four people told them to do and so now they're waiting for someone to tell them what they want to hear. Oh, I know that's all of us in this room. I can't tell you how many times in my 14, 15 years of pastoring that I've had somebody come to me and ask me for advice, counsel, wisdom, whatever you want to call it. And I tell them, and I know I ain't the only joker that's told them, like, let me tell you, bro, if you do this, there's a train coming. You see that train? It's going to smack you in the face. And then that person thinking in their own thinking, you think, oh, you know what? I know what's best for me. And they go on about their life and their way. And what do they do? Honey, choo-choo train hits them, okay? Thomas the engine smacks them right in the face. And they go back to you and say, what happened? And I'm like, I'm shaking them. I'm like, what do you think happened? You're a moron. That's what happened. You don't listen because you are the man that asked for wisdom from the Lord, but you have doubts in your heart and you say that when the Lord reveals you to what you're supposed to do, well, I have the right to reject that truth. And you'll go down your life in misery and train after train will smack you in the face. And you'll keep wondering, well, what am I doing wrong? And everybody around you is shaking their head. Maybe we've been telling you what you've been doing wrong. What do you need? You need wisdom. 
How do we ask for it? We ask God. Here's the key. We ask God humbly, and we ask God knowing that whatever is the wisdom that is provided, I am going to submit my life to that wisdom. Why? Because I know that God's way is going to be the best way for me. Because God's way is going to shape me and mold me and make me more into his image. We need wisdom. How we get to wisdom is we ask for wisdom. And then what will we find is the last question here. What will we find? I'll do this in reverse order to kind of help us. I'll go with the negative and then I'll finish on a positive note and I'll be done after that. What will we find? Well, we'll find that when we try, again, when we try to hedge our bets, when he asks here, he must believe and not doubt because if we try to ride two horses and one horse's name is faith, the other horse's name is doubt, we're going to find ourselves at complete odds at each other. And then James says categorically here in verse 7, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. So when you're coming to it from that approach, you're not going to receive from the Lord. Well, I thought if I, you know, ask God, he'll give me whatever I'm asking. And well, I mean, apparently not. Because of the posture of your heart is to say that I know it all and my way is better than God's way. What the issue here is James is addressing a divided loyalty that some of us have. And again, it's not about intellectual doubts. It's not about the questions, the questions of your heart that some of us have. It is about this idea that I think I know what is best for my life. I like St. Augustine's famous prayer, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. <laughs> that was good. Um, if, but I'll tell you, and, and, I'll, and I'll be honest with you, that's every single one of us. And now, maybe you've said this. Okay, we'll unspiritualize this for just a second. I'll, um, I'm, I'm going to do better with my diet. Okay, I'm going to start the gym. I'm going to, like, cut out all the bad stuff. I'm not going to, like, you know, I'm going to do away with all the, all the bad things. And... But I'm going to start next Monday. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've said that, because I would venture to say uh, 90, uh, 100% of us have probably said something to that, uh, to that effect in some way. I'm going to stop doing this, but I think I'll just stop maybe, maybe next Wednesday. Because like, what's so special about that, that next Wednesday? What's so special about, you know, well, maybe one day next week, you know, I'll, I'll do this. Um, and, and, that's, and that's what James is getting on to. Our approach to the Lord cannot be, you know, you give me wisdom, but I'll apply that wisdom maybe next week. 
No, no, the, the, the thing we have to do is that when we're, when we're asking for wisdom and we ask God and he gives it to us generously and he tells us to sever the relationship that you're in because it's tearing you down and then you say to God, well, maybe I'll just do it next week. Next week comes and you're still in that bad relationship that you had no business being in in the first place. And what do you think? You're going you're gonna to have the wisdom to, 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 you know, to end it off then? Now, on the, on the positive side of this, what do we need? We need wisdom. But what do we do? We ask. And what will we find? Well, we come to him sincerely. James says he'll give it generously to all. Without finding fault, he says. He doesn't make you feel guilty. He doesn't, you know... He doesn't make you feel guilty or, or pound you on the head like, gosh, can't you like get it right this time? No, we have a, a God that gives it to us. Trials are real. Disappointments are obvious. Mountains are steep that they have to climb. And so when we approach these things in our life, what are we to do? We were to ask for wisdom. And that's when you come before the Lord and you ask him for the wisdom and he gives it to you. So you don't know what to do with your life, okay? We've got it down. I don't know what to do with this trial. I don't know what to do with this temptation. I don't know what to do with, you know, you just fill in the blank with this trauma, with, with this brick wall that I keep hitting. Well, James tells you what to do. You, you ask, you ask for wisdom, which also means that you are teachable and you are humble in your approach before the Lord. Why is that so important? Because God opposes the proud. And for anyone who keeps saying, my way is better, God opposes that person. But he exalts the lowly that comes before him in his throne and says, I need wisdom in all of this. And you, you, you apply. That's it. That's, that's pretty simple. I'm going to come before the Lord. I'm going to ask him for wisdom. And I'm going to apply with what I have. Why? Because I have a wheelbarrow. And you have a wheelbarrow. And some of you are ready to toss that thing because it is so overloaded, got dents in it. You keep thinking, I just emptied it out, and now it's filled again. And i got to be honest, that's kind of the wave of life. It's an ebb and flow of, wow, I just got through that trial. feel so good. Bam, sucker punch you in the throat. Knock the wind right out of you. How's your wheelbarrow? Oh, well, now it's, it's, it's um, well, it was empty, and I was able to carry it up the mountain, and now you see it's, it's, uh, it's loaded down, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, now you know what you're supposed to do. You're, you're supposed to ask for wisdom. God, how am I going to make it through this relationship? Like some of us are in, in marital strife and marital trauma, and you will not ask for wisdom. That's the foolish man. That's the foolish woman. 
in trial, in trauma, what am I supposed to do? I ask for wisdom. What will happen? In the right heart, in the right spirit, God will give you the wisdom that you need generously. And my fear is that some of us will give up before it's too soon. And I've seen this before. They'll give up on a marriage. They'll give up on a child. They'll give up on, you know, you could just insert the blank with all of these things that we're faced with in life. And we'll give up because we think that our wheelbarrow is just too full and too heavy to carry. And, and the reason why we've given up is because we never asked for wisdom. And so as hard-pressed as it may feel, as uncomfortable as it may feel for some of you, some of you may need to say, listen, I am in shambles. My life is in turmoil. I need help. I need wisdom. And what I know about our sovereign God is that he is not up there with his baseball bat ready to pang you on the head. He's ready to lavishly pour out his wisdom on you.